Good morning and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 21st, 2014. My name is Leah and I'm your moderator this morning. The share ID for Friday, December 19th is 7124. 7124. This morning, A Vision for You presents There is a Solution. The Big Book teaches that to get over drinking, in our case, compulsive overeating, it will require a transformation of thought and attitude. The 12 steps, as outlined in the Big Book, represent a process resulting in a spiritual awakening, a psychic change sufficient to bring about recovery. We submit to a simple process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been. We didn't even know it existed. The results are disproportionate to our efforts, yet our efforts are required to sustain and enlarge it. Our spiritual awakening is a gift that instills in us a new perspective. It is accompanied by a change in our character and our values. Our former pursuit of personal desires and willfulness has been subdued and redirected. We have changed in the way we think, in the way we feel, and in the way we behave. The sunlight of the spirit, which has always been deep down inside us, is now allowed to shine up and through us. And here to speak on this psychic change is Sharon R.S., a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. Sharon is dedicated to her recovery lifestyle, her spiritual practice, and to carrying the message that indeed there is a solution. And welcome to the line, Sharon. Thank you, Leigh. Thank you so much for your service uh, to this meeting. And uh, thank you to all of you on the line for your recovery and for your desire to be recovered. I am Sharon R.S., and I am a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater uh, working this program of recovery one day at a time. I am very happy to talk with you this morning. Uh, The big book lays out a plan of recovery, and we study it for the solution, and then we live in that solution. By living the big book way of life, I am having what the big book calls a psychic change. As a result, I have recovered from compulsive overeating. Thank you, God. But perhaps most significantly for me, and definitely for my families and others uh, that my life has uh, touched, uh, is that the unmanageability is gone, that chaos. And, and the chaos that I lived in. Now I have a life that's manageable with way less chaos. I said that I am having a psychic change rather than I had a psychic change because for me, this process is ongoing. I have had, however, enough of a psychic change to uh, 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 change enough of a psychic change, it's sufficient enough to have gotten recovered. And I guard this recovery with my life. But for me, the spiritual growth process is ongoing and it's critical to my recovery. 
it's as critical as working my food plan. Uh, this psychic change spiritual is called the spiritual awakening. It's also called the spiritual experience. All of these are descriptions or manifestations of the same thing. Uh, leading, it's a change leading to a personality change. It's a turnaround. On page 569 in the big book, it states that the person has, quote, undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. The doctor's opinion on Roman numeral 27XXVII describes it this way. On the other hand, it says, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. Before I, want, before I go on, I want to uh, pause for a moment and give a few, uh, give a, just a fun fact that I have discovered and that you probably already know. Each step in the 12 steps of this recovery is a hologram of the entire 12 steps, meaning that uh, a hologram means that if you take a part of the, any part of the whole has within it the whole. So every step has all of the steps. And uh, so I'm working all of the steps every day in some way. Although I may be focused on one step I uh, more than the others. Right now, for instance, I'm studying step seven, but working on step 11. All that all I might add with a great deal of joy, because I love, I love step 11, uh, but it, the, the working on a step is, is, even after you're recovered, it's not without pain and challenge and, and, and having to break through some of the self-resistance uh, that I have. But studying step seven is helping me to see my character defects that are blocking me from that continual uh, psychic change, from that, from growing. And step 11 gives me direction on how to continue that psychic change that brought about recovery. This step reads, uh, step 11 reads, thought through prayer meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for his will for us and the power to carry it out. This has helped me to continue to improve my life and my relationship with people around me. But I'll talk more about that later. Step one says, and, and starting from the beginning, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. So we have an inside and an outside problem. Our insides are abnormal. And though we knew something was wrong. It didn't help us. Uh, Roman numeral uh, page, uh, Roman numeral 24XXIV reads, 
We who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. The doctor, uh, in the doctor's story here, gives some reason for our abnormal responses to food. It could be, he says, because we were maladjusted to life in full flight from reality or outright mental defects. I personally feel that in some way I fit into all of these. But the bottom line is that our bodies were sickened as well as our minds. So we have an inside-outside problem. We're powerless over our response to food on the inside, and this exacerbates the outside world, making our problems astonishingly, astonishingly difficult to solve, creating extreme unmanageability. At least that's the way it was for me. But according to the doctor, the inside work has a twofold problem. The mind is sick. It doesn't know how to respond appropriately to the demands or stresses of daily living. Or it may just not be willing to face life on life's terms. This was where I was. I had the illusion that this time it would be different. This time I was going to get the ease and comfort that I wanted from food and not get out of control and eat all of a certain food in uh, the convenience store shelves to a point where there was none of that item in a, available in a 10-mile area. I can imagine that the buyers were scratching their heads and the candy manufacturers were ramping up production to keep up with, with the demand. But inevitably, my body would start to rebel before I could get enough. The skin on the inside of my mouth would break down to the point that it was painful to suck on one more hard candy. Or I would, um, and this sounds awful, but it's true, I would have a poop fest, if you know what I mean, so violent with diarrhea and gas that I could not leave the house. I even, I've even landed in the emergency room several times because of my obsession. My obsession is so severe that I will find some way to believe the illusion that one day, one day I will beat the game. I would eventually convince myself that a little bit won't hurt. And uh, I would end up, over time, uh, I would end up back in the emergency room. And one time I heard, I heard uh, one doctor tell another that he was having a hard time clearing my lungs. My body, uh, by the way, gets asthmatic when I eat dairy. But my insane thinking finds a way, or at least it used to, to convince me to take that first bite. And after I take the first bite, I lose control over when I get to stop. I have to eat. And it's out of my control to stop it. Many years ago, I manipulated my food so insanely that I ended up hospitalized. I was convinced that a normal food plan was drinking wine and eating good French bread. After
after all, that was what the French do, and they don't have a weight problem. But I'm scratch test allergic to wheat and addicted to sugar, and my illusions told me if a little was good, more was better, and that I'll eat. I, and, and that's all I ate or drank for weeks, and I literally went mad. Thank God for a good psychiatrist that didn't believe that I, um, that there was anything at all wrong with my mind. I just, he told me, had some sort of chemical imbalance that they didn't understand and that I would just have to watch myself for the rest of my life for signs that things were going amok so that this wouldn't happen again. I wish I could tell you that this horrible experience changed my life. And from that moment on until now, I have never, ever taken another, done another crazy thing with food. But no, as you know, I'm on this line with you. That didn't happen. I still didn't realize that I had a twofold disease that affected my body and my mind. Although I did know that I had something wrong with my body, and I knew that my mind was seriously defective in some way, I just didn't connect the food and the mind, the, the, the mind and the food and the body. I didn't get that connection. It would be another seven or eight years after I had this hospitalization before I would gain that awareness and another 17 years before I got recovered. Over those 17 years, I demonstrated that unfortunate combination of a mind that is obsessed with food and eating patterns and a body that craves the very thing that in my case led me to the gates of death and insanity. My disease was and is progressive. By the time I got to recovery, my kidneys were failing. I was uh, had proteinary. They were getting ready, getting ready to do a kidney biopsy. The doctor told me that she'd never seen a case where kidneys had recovered that had, that were damaged to the extent that mine were. Yet today, I have no kidney problems, or at least as long as I watch it, I don't have any kidney problems. Within a few weeks after getting my current abstinence, my my uh, kidneys recovered. My cholesterol, which was at 311 uh, when I first started this recovery, um, has never I've never had a problem with cholesterol since that since that day. But uh, my disease was and is progressive, and it led to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization for me. But I repeated this viciously painful cycle over and over and over again until I was utterly hopeless. I prayed and prayed and prayed to God, but I was helpless to change. I was without defense against that first bite. I tried everything to stop eating compulsively, but all that I did, I can tell you now, was to habituate myself for relapse. I was, it was my habit to 
take that first bite. It always started for me with the thought, a little bit won't hurt. I was stuck in a pattern of relapse and abstinence. I did this relapse abstinence dance before OA and for 10 years in the rooms of OA. The only difference is that in the rooms of OA, I wasn't doing it alone. I had the comfort of my fellows in the room. I could, while I was in OA before recovery, I could have brief reprieve, only to get to the point where I could no longer stop, not for one day or one hour. The food was my master. I, whoever I was, that um, was, I didn't even know who I was. I was nothing but a shell. The food had the thoughts. I only carried out the actions. Yet here I am, after decades of practicing relapse and abstinence, but never getting recovered, I am now celebrating 13 years of recovery. What happened? Page XXVI of the doctor's opinion reads, and that's Roman numeral 26, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol, in my case, sugar. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the truth from the fault. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity after they have succumbed to the desire again as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseless with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is little help of his recovery. We have an inside-outside problem. Our outsides are unmanageable, and our insides are unable to aid us in living life, much less solving our problem. How do we get out of this mess? The doctor, uh, in in the doctor's opinion, Dr. Silkworth, uh, he writes on the bottom of page, Roman numeral 25, XXE, what he observed observed in those who finally broke out of the vicious addiction cycle. He notes three things. One, unselfishness. Two, absence of profit motive. And three, community spirit. This was their attitude, their demeanor, the principles by which they conducted themselves. And mostly 
most importantly for me in my mind, is that he spoke of community, the we. This entire book is about we. I got recovered as a, as a function of our recovery. I could never do it alone, and I can't keep it alone by myself. What they did to get recovered, what did they do the early AA? Dr. Silkworth observed two major things. Again, at the bottom of page XXV, Roman number 25, it reads, the cases we have followed, though, have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men, as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive, and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. What they did to get recovered, as identified by Dr. Silkworth in this paragraph, is two things. One, they believed in themselves. And two, they believed even more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Well, that's the type of power I need because I was at the gates of death. I was killing myself one spoonful at a time, one fork at a time. And I didn't want to kill myself. I had two young children, an eight-month-old and a two-month-old with disabilities. My mother was begging me to do something. My mother-in-law was afraid. Who was going to take care of the children if I couldn't take care of them? And as it was, I was eating myself into such a state, I could hardly take care of them without help. Yet I couldn't help it. I couldn't stop. What could happen? What could? I needed something greater than myself. Within myself, I couldn't. And I was in the rooms, but I wasn't getting recovered. I needed a great power. I was going to church, and it wasn't helping. What could I? I didn't know what to do. This is how I got that vital psychic change. I recovered and found happiness, and I'm so grateful. Instead of more food, I have more of me. I have more of life, and I want it more and more and more, and I need it more and more because for me, just as, as um, addiction and food addiction is a progressively worse recovery, is progressively better, and I have to stay on that road of progressive growth and change in order to keep my recovery. But God helped me, that same God that I knew before, I believe, but something happened. God helped me and helped me to get out and away from that, the edge, away from that cliff, that destruction, and I've never looked back. I came to believe not only in my higher power in a way that would produce that psychic change. I had, I, and I, of course, I had that higher power that all along, but I didn't, wasn't able to use it 
and practice uh, the principles that would bring about that recovery. So, and what's interesting to me is I also had the big book. I had read the big book. I believed it. I had worked the steps to the best of my ability, and I couldn't get recovered. What changed for me was when I came to believe in us together. I had been in OA for 10 years. When I joined the OA community of recovered compulsive overeaters, this was a community of compulsive overeaters all committed to each other, to working the steps with honesty, openness, and willingness to be different in order to change and have that psychic change that would bring about recovery. That group, by the grace of my higher power, became my surrogate higher power. With my, They became my higher power with flesh on it. They nurtured me, laughed with me, cried with me, disciplined me, taught me, and lovingly showed me the path to recover. We joined together, keeping each other accountable and working this 12-step program of recovery as a way of life, learning from each other, growing together, and welcoming others. This is the believing in themselves, that fellowship together that Dr. Silkworth observed in the early AAers who recovered. But the amazing transformation came in a greater belief in the power which pulled chronic compulsive eaters back from the gates of death. Like I said, I was around the rooms of OA for 10 years. I hung out with OAers, but each one of us was working for recovery on our own, together, alone. But when I got this group of joyous travelers, they taught me to believe in us together. And in this great power, that was my higher power, they taught me that if I sought that power in a way I had never done before, it would unreservedly pull me out of my hellhole, restore me to sanity around food, and even more incredibly, bring manageability and order to my crazy, chaotic life. This power that I trusted enough because of what I saw in them, I trusted it enough to throw myself headlong into uh, uh this um, way of life, it helped me produce, it, it helped produce in me a psychic change. But to get there, I had to follow a few simple rules as, as outlined in the big book. This community of compulsive overeaters helped me to put uh, the discipline, helped me to become disciplined because I was totally undisciplined. I had no structure. Uh, it, this group helped me to uh, be disciplined enough while I worked the steps and built new healthy patterns for living into my life. A few of the disciplines that uh, I, who was crippled by this disease, learned to do uh, with the help of these recovered compulsive overeaters 
was to write out my medically approved food plan every day, committed to a sponsor or attempt sponsor. And they taught me to never trust my own mind when it came to food. I, I was to read and write from the big book or the 12 and 12 every day or some other AA approved literature and read it to my sponsor or attempt sponsor every day. Uh, I only I was taught only to eat what I called in and to call if I had a problem with food or with life or if I needed to change my food that I had called in. I was taught to be honest, open, and willing. I was also taught to be quiet, to listen, and to be willing to follow what's worked for others, to do the steps, make three phone calls a day, don't eat sugar unless in, in, uh, in uh, they, they said it was okay if it was fifth or beyond in the ingredient list, and don't drink wine or don't drink alcohol of any sort. For me, it was wine. I always liked to drink wine. Uh, but uh, the drinking wine, not drinking wine, was important because it was, uh, uh, for me, for years in OA, I would get abstinent from sugar, and then I would drink a little wine and end up in, in AA, a little bit of wine. And there I was having to go to OA because I couldn't stop that either. Now, I'm not uh, advocating these disciplines for everyone. This is just what I needed to do to get and to stay recovered. On page 27, uh, uh, a different doctor is quoted that describes me. You have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where the state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. However, the doctor goes on to tell of an exception. Exceptions to cases such as ours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. This is the doctor speaking. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one, to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begins to dominate them. So to recover... I got a sponsor. I did what she said. She took me, she told me that I had to put the food down, which was step zero, she called it. And immediately she told me I, I needed to begin working the steps and slowly start building community within the, this uh, recovery group for when, and, and that would help when I get those hard-to-handle highs and lows, I would uh, be habituated to pick up the phone for help rather than picking up the food. I learned that my problems were basically of my own making, and therefore, this is exciting. This is good news. It was hard to take, but it was good news because if they were of my own making, if I changed myself, 
then my troubles would necessarily change. My life would become more manageable. If I cleaned up my side of the street and then stuck to my side of the street, then my life would become more manageable. What I learned is that to be successful in recovery, I had to do something unimaginable when I first started. I had to set aside my way of thinking. I had to become God-reliant rather than self-reliant. In order to stay recovered, I was going to have to let go of my unfruitful thoughts about God and adopt one of three relationships uh, with God that Bill describes or uh, choose another, but it can't be me. And it has to have, this power has to have the, this God or higher power has to have the power to relieve me of my obsession and help me to recreate a manageable life. The relationships that Bill describes are found on the bottom of page 62 and the top of 63. In all cases, God is, is described as our director. One in the rooms here of Vision for You talk about, talks about God as our divine director, our divine director. But we can look at God as our principal and we as his agent, or he as our father, we as his children. Uh, we don't even have to call it God. Our higher power, can we can look at it as our employer and we as his employee. We can choose any concept of God that we want, but it has to have the power to help create that psychic change, that change, that personality change that brings about a new way of looking at life, a new way of acting. And I have to tell you, I did. I just started working I just started doing what I was told and not taking that first bite. And the psychic change came about uh, not because I worked specifically for a psychic change. It came about because I believed that I could have that psychic change. I believed in the, in the power that had helped my fellows recovered. I believed that I could have it if they had it. I could have it. If I did what they could, did, I could have what they had. My power, I knew my God was at least that great. And so I believed in my own higher power, had the, had the ability to do what their higher power could do for them. So I got this psychic change. Um, and when we get this psychic change, the new life, looks like this. It is just, it's described on page 63. Being all-powerful, he, meaning the higher power of our choosing, provided what we needed. If we kept close to him, or her, if you prefer, and performed her work well, established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, thank God, our little plans and designs, more and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life as we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. We were reborn. We had that psychic change. 
this is what has happened and is happening to me one day at a time. I found that I needed the community of compulsive overeaters to come alongside me and help me to put my hand firmly in the hand of my God, God. And I have found that I need this unlikely and ever-changing group in my life every day to keep my hand in the hand of God because I am like a woman who has lost her legs. She will never grow new ones. I will always need support and help from my higher power and from my fellows in the rooms of Vision for You and of OA and of my face-to-face compulsive overeating group. We work now. Um, We work, my work now is to grow in understanding and wisdom. And I want to say that I, I, I forgot to mention that a critical part of my recovery, my, my um, uh, fellow travelers told me was service. From the very first day, they said, go help somebody else. So help somebody else. That, and every day I'm told to do service to a fellow sufferer and to those around me, always, always looking for who I can be of help and service to, critical, critical to my recovery. This psychic change is like a precious garden or pearl. Once you get it in your hands, do not let it go for one moment. We cannot live in this new life while coveting the old. I tell myself, this is what I tell myself, that I am out of options. I refuse to allow myself to entertain food thoughts of any kind. I do not look back. Once I put my hand to the plow, once I got and believed in the recovery that others had, that I could have it too, I never for once have looked back. And I will, I, God help me, never look back. This is serious business. It is life or death. To look back is to die. I refuse because there's too much living. My children need me. My husband needs me. My family needs me. The people in the room need me. If you get 24 hours, do not look back. Do not, do not look back. You can recover. There is nothing that can stop you. There is help for you in these rooms. If you reach it, if you seek it, if you want it, it is there. What I got, you can get. It's open for everyone without exception. I tell myself I'm out of options. I know if I take one bite, I'm, I'm, I'm dead. Because this disease is progressive for 14 years. It's open iron, waiting for that one bite. I, I will not stop. If I think God can help, food can help me. If I think food is my God, it will take me, and it will take me to hell. I refuse to allow myself to entertain food thoughts at all. Going back is not an option today. By the grace of my higher power and the support of my fellows in this room and the vision for you, I can continue to grow and learn. I said earlier in this presentation that food made me feel like a shell of a person. I don't really know who, I didn't really know, know who I was. But with the psychic change and growing in my conscious contact with God, I have emerged and am continuing to develop. In conclusion, the big book, again, helps me to recover and to heal. And I would recommend to you pages 84 through 88. These are jewels for learning how to stay in that manageable life. And with that, I, 
I, uh, with that, I uh, pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon, for this exciting, insightful, and inspiring message that you offered all of us today. Thank you very much for your service. And Sharon's contact information will be given at the end of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. Now we invite those of you here this morning to ask questions of Sharon regarding the presentation that you just heard. And you can do so by pressing star 1 to unmute and identifying yourself, please. Any questions this morning for Sharon? Rose? Hi, Rose. Go ahead. Yes, thanks, Leah. Thank you very much. Good morning. Um, I'm Rose, compulsive overeater, recovered. Sharon, God bless you and thank you a million times. And my question started bubbling up as you were sharing your um, recovery. And what it is simply is, how uh, would you describe, you mentioned praying to God back before you were recovered and it didn't work. Um, But what I'm interested in is if it's possible to describe your relationship with God now. I mean, you certainly explained why it works as to your whole recovery, but what is the difference in when before you were recovered? uh, What is the difference now being recovered? And what is your daily relationship simply with God now? What does that do you follow me? Hi, Rose. It's so good to hear your voice. It is. I feel like you're a dear a dear old friend, yeah. Yeah. I haven't I haven't been absent absent, but I can so remember that night I called you. You literally held me together, but I'll call again. <laughs> but you follow what I'm saying? God for you. Well, now. I believe what you're saying is is um, uh, and that it's a, it's a very important distinction. What is the difference in my relationship with God before I got recovered? When I was praying and praying and praying and mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and wasn't getting recovered, and then after, mm-hmm. and I have to say that I I believe that God did answer my prayers. I I I I um I would have brief reprieve and and um and uh but God brought this uh uh I I this uh recovery fellowship to me and uh I I personally believe that it was just for me, and other people happened to get it as well. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I laugh about that because I'm sure it was. I know it was for all of us, but it feels so personal because I wanted it so desperately. So I do believe it, one of the one of the problems is that um, it, it's very complicated as to why I couldn't get recovered. But I, I was in the rooms. And and perhaps it just wasn't available in, in at the time in the city that I was in. Uh, I'm in in the Minneapolis area in Minnesota, and we just did not recovery was just not available to us. Uh, 
And so uh, I think God had to make a lot of things happen in order to bring me the, the recovery that I needed because my situation was so desperate and so so uh, uh, challenging. Um, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes there, there isn't a cure for certain diseases and one has to be developed. And in my case, uh, my my addiction was was just um, uh, of a hopeless nature. So so uh, now uh, the difference is that uh, I listen to my higher power, and instead of I used to pray, God, you don't need to do anything for me. I love you so much. I'll just serve you and do whatever you want to do. I don't you don't have to do anything for me which is, uh, uh, on a, but now on a daily basis, I'm looking for God to help me every day. I, you know, because it used to be God was a distant and uh, out there, and I was busily uh, doing works and things and, uh, and uh, uh, just living my life and working hard and, and, and praying if I had a problem. And now I, God is integral, like like the the um, fate, you know, the legs that you need to walk. I don't have legs, so I need to put on artificial legs. Well, God is those prosthetic devices that I need to walk in my life. That's the difference. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to end because I've, I've talked a while here on this question, and we can talk more privately. But uh, now, what I do each day in in my with 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 my program is uh, about putting on those those uh, artificial uh, devices so that I can live like a normal person. And they they artificial is you know the prayer and meditation and so forth. Working my program. Thank you, Rose, for the question. Who's next with a question for Sharon this morning? This is Bev. Lisa. Bev and then Lisa. Go ahead, Bev. Thank you. This is Bev, a compulsive overeater in Colorado. Um, thank you for your share. It was wonderful. I really learned a lot. And what struck out struck me was your comment about the disease is progressive. We all know that. But also recovery is progressive. And um, to me, that brings uh, a level of hope to all of us. Could you expound on that just a little bit more? Thank you. Yes, that is exciting news that that uh, recovery is progressive. And I'm the 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 deep. The more I go into, the longer I'm recovered, the more of myself. I get to uh, to know uh, what does it say? Twisted thinking does not not vanish vanish in a twinkling. And uh, so we don't come in. And even even if you look at at uh, Bill and Dr. Bob, those are their stories of growth and change and learning. And so it is with us. We grow, we learn, we change. I'm a far cry from the woman I was when I first got recovered. I don't think 
the same way. I don't act the same way. I don't look the same way. I am uh, different. And sometimes I, I look in the mirror and I'm I like, wow, who, who is that? You, you look so different. And not just physically, but there's a light that continues to grow. There becomes less and less of me and more of that power that flows uh, through us. I become more like um, page 99 of the 12 and 12, that channel through which uh, our higher power flows into the world. And in that process, I discover more of me. So I'm progressively being revealed. The more I surrender, the more I become. I become more of who I intended to be. And the joy increases. My presence increases in life. So it is exciting and it's ever unfolding. And I become more and more comfortable with being me. And being, I don't play at small anymore. I'm free to be as big as God wants me to be or as small, if you will, or as inconsequential, when I'm always consequential because of God. But I don't have to go looking for big things or playing for small things. I can be as big or as quiet and as still and be comfortable with whatever it is, and it gets better and better. I hope that answered your question, Bev. Thank you, Bev. Lisa, your turn. Yes, hi. Thank you. My name is Lisa M., and I'm a compulsive overeater from Massachusetts, and I want to thank you for your service, and I'm really enjoying this this talk. My my question for you is, did you know when it was starting to happen? And could you describe that moment when you knew it was, was happening? Thank you. Well... I I know that my OA sponsor insisted that I go to this meeting where people were, and she told me, she guaranteed me if I went, I would get recovered. And she said, uh, it wasn't about the weight. It was about the light in the people's eyes. And, um, And she told me I had all kinds of excuses for not going, one of them being that who would stay with the children And she said she was going to come and take me to the meeting. And then she said she was going to come and stay with the kids so I could go to the meeting. But uh, I did go. And I remember sitting in the meeting. And I remember my thighs just being a mound. I had 14 pounds of water weight because my kidneys weren't working. I didn't think I could sit in the chair for the meeting was actually two hours long. I didn't think I could sit there. I'd be in too much pain, I thought. And when it was over... I, I, I halfway through, I actually forgot about all my pain. I forgot all of that. I was so excited. It was the day before Thanksgiving, 2001. And uh, I saw these same women who I had been in the rooms with for years and who had never lost what looked like an ounce of weight. And it wasn't about the weight. It was the light in their eyes, just like she had said. I knew based on what I saw and what I heard, I knew if they could get it, I was going to get it. And at that moment, 
I, I, and they offered the chip. I went up and got the chip. I went home. I took my scale out, and the day after, I took my scale to um, to Thanksgiving dinner at my in-laws' house. I put the scale on the dinner on the t- counter. I said, "Give me four ounces." My uh, my father-in-law had a hearing problem. You what what what? My mother-in-law said, "Give her four ounces." And I had her support from day one and my mother's support because they knew I needed to do something. So I knew I was not going to look back because I have looked back so many times. I have taken that first bite so many times. And I linked arms with those women, and, I'm, and I was going to fight through to the bitter end. I'm going to keep my abstinence. I don't care what. And I don't care who or what. I was keeping it, doggone it. And I called if I had a problem. I cried when I needed to cry. And they helped me through every problem I had. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Lisa. Anyone else with a question today for Sharon? Star one time. Hi, this is Jane. I have a question. Jane. Anyone else? Jump in. The water's warm. Any questions? Okay. Okay, let's start with Jane. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Leah, and and thank you so much, Sharon. Um, My name is Jane B. from Florida, and I had a question. Um, It was kind of like similar to what my experience was being in the fellowship many, many years and believing that, you know, abstinence and meetings and all that stuff would really helped me recover and that there was something wrong with me that I couldn't get it. Do you think that the missing piece was when you almost had began beginning of a spiritual awakening when you realized that other people showed you at that meeting that you could recover? Do you, do you think that God was, in other words, it was like the missing piece, um, because years ago we never they didn't have that you know we didn't have the fortunate they didn't have the fortunate advantage of meetings but they you know people did recover through the book or through other maybe they had small fellowships but um, I, I was just wondering because um, my experience is we need people as well as a higher power you know God works through people as well as strongly for me as they do through the the actual relationship of having a higher power. So can you, I guess the question is, do you think that was the missing piece? Well, if I get you, you, um, well, I can, I can say this. When my first meeting, there was a woman in the rooms who had 21 years of abstinence and another one who had 18 years. And what they told me, and, and I was, and I was bawling at the end of the meeting. I was ready. Tell me what to do. I'm going to do it because I'm convinced. I they, The lady who spoke, uh, I, I tell you what, she scared the hell out of me. And I could see if, if I didn't change, I was going down, I was going to get what she had gotten, and I didn't want it, and I was ready to do anything. And they, what they told me to do is go to as many meetings as I can and don't eat sugar. That was the formula given to me. 
And I did that, and I got abstinent. And but I would call and say, "Well, what should my food plan be?" And 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 I have allergies, so I couldn't eat their food plan because it would make me sick and ill. Uh, so I there was just not a, a good formula. And um, now I I don't uh, I don't necessarily know what your it was you know what what made the difference. Um, and and I hung out. I I still see them sometimes, and uh, I would I would fellowship quote unquote with OAers. I I I did service. I I even had us would call in my food to a sponsor sometimes and read, and I would write. I did all the same things, but it was the, the it, so uh, perhaps I don't know for sure what made the difference. I can only speculate, but I do know that for me. One of one of I believe that my higher power wants me to learn how to live with people. What part of my uh, the reason I became a compulsive overeater I believe is selfishness in retreating from the world, taking all my talent, so to speak, and and uh, whatever I had, not wanting to develop myself for the benefit of others. And just saying, I'm comfortable just satisfying myself, and and uh, just I'll I'll accept the small world just so I don't have to deal with the world. I don't want to learn how to live in the world because I don't care about them. I don't like them. I don't want the world. I just I don't want anything to do with anything. I want to live myself and on my. So I was I had crazy thinking and made some. Uh, I had I had some some ways of living that were not conducive to life and um and I could only learn with a group of people that were willing to put up with me and uh to work with me and to help me to grow and to learn how to live life so that's part of the reason I believe I couldn't recover alone other people are more healthy than me but I was a sick puppy <laughs> Thank you very much, Jane, for your question. Anyone else with a question? Carol J. Linda R. Linda R. Anyone else? Carol J. Yes, Carol, I have you. Linda R. Anyone else? Judith R. Teresa A. Teresa A. And then the Vermont, I didn't catch your name. I know. R. Francis T, New York. Okay, let's go with all that. Please, starting with Carol G. Everyone else, Thank you, Leah. Stay muted. Thanks. Yes, Carol G. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, service, and thank you for a wonderful share. Um, how delightful. Um, Wow, um, I think I'm going to ask a deep question, I think. Um, I've come to believe that God has a, a kind of a blueprint for each of our lives, and it's been wonderful to hear some of yours. And now I'm um, recovered, and I have a brand new life, I've begun to see how much reconstruction my life now requires with God's help. And I've realized that following the directions of the big book and following the step work 
it's required an awful lot of specific instructions, directions, methods and principles. Very, very concrete for me. And now I've got to step 11, um, it's like a whole new continent. And you described some of this beautifully. And I was just wondering how, it's about discernment is my question. Um, that quiet, small voice that I've now come to be able to experience, how have you interpreted uh, God's instructions and God's will for you. I'd like to hear a bit more about that, please. Pam. Okay. Um, thank you for the question, Carol. I, um, I, I, that's a, a, um, it's, it's a little tough to answer. Um, because it's such a, a big question, it's such a huge question. I, I, um, my relationship with my higher power is the most important relationship in my life, and it's it's the closest relationship that I have, and the most dearest to me. And it's also one that is growing and changing, and and um, uh, developing uh, and how I interpret the, that that voice is first of all I'm I'm listening I, I at least I attempt to listen all all throughout the day uh, with one ear um, to that still quiet voice, you know, constantly checking in and with with every decision point as and and quite honestly sometimes I run off and self will run amok, you know. But um for the most part I'm I'm constantly checking in. I I have some inter I have I go through uh different periods in my uh in my with my spiritual disciplines that I do uh, now I'm uh, practicing that quiet time in the morning that listening uh, going through what the um, what we do here in um, what we the um, you know exactly what it says here in the big book uh, having that uh, the check-in to going through my day. Um, was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, frightened? Uh, looking at that, prayerfully looking at it, you know, with God as as my um, uh, I should what I should say guide, um, and looking at that and and what I. Uh, so when I I'm trying to make sure that I answer the question and not get off onto a tangent um, and and the question was how do I listen to that uh, still quiet voice uh, that that's a kind of a tough question because I I think perhaps what you're asking is how do I develop uh, 
the the listening skills. And so I'm going to answer that. How do I develop those listening skills? One of the things that I do and I have done is in listening, um, whether it's, you know, in in uh, writing, when I'm having that quiet meditation, having a notebook by me and writing down what comes to me, what I need to do, and I still do this, write down what what um, comes to me. And when I first began, I would constantly check in before I acted on the things that I would hear during my quiet, my prayer meditation. I would, I would ask, I would talk to my sponsor, talk to another fellow about the things that I thought I had heard. Now, after 13 years, I trust my gut. I trust what I hear, but that's because for years I've practiced checking in, frequently checking in. Not to say that I still don't check in and listen, but I, I do, um, I can trust more what I've heard as a result of having done that over the years. So I hope that's helpful, Carol. Thank you, Carol G., for the question. Linda R., your turn. Good morning. Thank you so much for your wonderful share. I really, it was wonderful. Thank you so much for all the service. All right, my question is that I would like to know, you know, in sponsoring other people with your philosophy and your, you know, total abstinence, do you, um, I have different sponsees that I'm working with right now, and some of them, you know, are, are doing it, you know, responding more quickly than others. So my question is, how long, you know, what's a timely, I know they say, you know, in the vision we should do it seven weeks or whatever, you know, when I was, I've been in a program many years, it took me a lifetime to get to where I am in my uh, program, thank you, God. However, when I'm working with other people, you know, especially I'm working with a lot of professional people that have a very busy lifestyle, um, they do, you know, what they're, you know, they're getting their regimens and they're reading and all of that. But my question is, how long do you hold a, a person if they're not really working the program in a timely manner? And what is your uh, philosophy about that? Thank you. Well, the way I work the program is uh, I, I, I only work with critical level uh, people and so some people don't need the the level of, of work that I I needed and the level of attention their life isn't as unmanageable as I was as mine was see I needed help even uh, knowing how to live because I had retreated so far into the food that I didn't even uh, I I didn't even know how to live successfully and on life's terms. And so I, I don't hold on to them long. I, I, when, if a person relapses, I don't, I don't like to keep working with them. I, I, I like to allow them the freedom to, to go on and try something different or try someone different. Um, it, um, and, and, and partly for me, it's just too painful. I just, I just, 
because it gives me flashbacks and and I just I I don't want to go back to hell and I don't want to sit here and hold someone's hand while they're going to hell. So I want to work with someone who who I can help and I usually have I have been very successful working with severely critical compulsive overeaters and and helping them get recovered but they have to be totally desperate and willing enough to go to any length to recover. And if they're not willing to go to any length to recover, they can sit around in the OA rooms and get and get uh, ease and comfort uh, and friendship. But um, I'm only willing to work with people who are ready to do go to any lengths to recover. Although I have to be honest with you, I, I if if it's five or you know if it's a phone call, that's different. I'll help anybody on a phone call, but to to give daily time and to give my heart. I'm only going to do that with with a desperate person. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Teresa A., your turn. Good morning, Sharon. Thank you so much for your share this morning. Um, I, I got a lot of hope by listening to you because one of the things that was um, I was dumbfounded about was hearing about people who would work the steps and then have this um, life of fullness and recovery. And when you shared about how many years you were in program and you would sometimes, you know, feel like your prayers were answered and sometimes feel like it wasn't. Um, thank you for sharing that because you're an example to me that I actually can recover and I do have 24 hours today. So when you said don't look back, um, that really resonated. And so. Um, one of the things that, that stuck out from what you shared was about feeling alone even with a room full of people versus um, feeling that you were building a community. And I was wondering if you could talk a, a little bit more about that. Like, did, Was that hand-in-hand hand with the more disciplined approach that you took towards food, weighing and measuring and all that, or, what, or was it separate? Yeah, tell me your name again. Teresa from D.C. Teresa. Hi, Teresa. Yeah, I, I believe it was hand in hand, and I've, I've thought about that a little bit. I think because we were all in the rooms doing the same thing, and and so we all, uh, um, we were all committed to doing the same thing, and we still are, and um, we could share notes talk about things and 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 some one of the things that we would do that people would do and and we still do it but it was it was more necessary in those days because there was so many of us that were all recovering right along together and we were we all we had so many unmanageable uh, so many problems that we were trying to resolve and but one person would have some knowledge in one area, like one would have Al-Anon background, one would have OAA background, one would have some uh, some uh, history in the medical field, uh, some would have um, uh, uh, experience raising children, and and so we would we would um, uh, say. Uh, Say I I if I had sponsees and we did kind of a group we and we still do it's a group sponsorship where 
we all sponsor technically you have one sponsor but you all are sponsoring one another because if your sponsor is not available you call the next person and that person is there ready to help you uh, to take your food and your reading assignment and so forth so you're you're never alone with one person and you off on the side uh, working a, a program you're working the program that we all are working together yeah this uh, uh, and and you know it's it's a meeting you know I, I have my Tuesday morning meeting we're all in there working together on that recovery we're working the same program we all may have different sponsors we all work at a little you know different food plans but we're all committed to doing the same thing the the and and we're all desperate desperate compulsive overeaters although just as with AA they found that the first people were the were the what did they call them the last um i forget what it's called but the uh the very bottom of the barrel the the worst of the worst were the first ones to get recovered and that's what happened in our twin cities area is the worst of the worst were the first ones to come aboard and then uh, people who knew that they were going in that direction like i did uh, uh, over 22 years ago, when I first came to the OA, I knew I had to change and I was ready, but the community wasn't ready for me as, uh, because they didn't know what to tell me to do. They didn't know how to help me. But now we have many uh, people in 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 our rooms who never ever got as, as bad off as I got. They they um, and and many many uh, young women who have young children and they saw the direction their lives were going and they said I am not going to do this. They came to the rooms, they got recovered, never looked back. But they were able to learn from us who were recovered and and to see to hear our stories of pain and and uh, repeated. Uh, uh, relapse and abstinence, relapse and abstinence over decades, and they saw where they were going, and they were able to stop without having to suffer the way we had suffered. So it's it's uh, we together, but it's the HP of us all that is you know higher power. It's it's uh, directing the show and us all surrendering uh, to that power that pulls us back from the grave. Thank you, Teresa, for your question. Inez. Inez, did you have a question? Hello? Yes, is this Inez? Yes, it is. I'm sorry. Um, I suppose my question is, how do you surrender? Many times I think I have, and I haven't, so that's where I'm stuck. How do you surrender to the process? I don't know if that makes any sense to anyone, but. Yes, that is that makes sense. Do I have an answer? Now, that's another question. <laughs> How do you surrender? I think surrender is progressive also. I think, I think it's, it's progressive. Uh, in the sense that you surrender to the best of your ability today. And when you put your hand on the plow, you don't look back. 
You don't give yourself options. The first thought of, of food that comes, you immediately do something. You take that as if hell has reached its hand out to grab you. You don't play with it. When you surrender, you don't, you, you get up the next day and you surrender again because it dwindles away, you know. So you have to do each day what you did the day before. You have to each day recommit yourself to the process. And and you, I, I believe you take a sponsor and you say, and for me, my sponsor was, I just allowed my sponsor to be a surrogate God to me. I, I had to humble myself because my pride was killing me. And I, I, my thinking I could do it all, I knew it all, and I did know it all. I knew a lot about nutrition. I had studied it. I knew a lot. But I could not you apply it to myself. So when it came to food, I could not make any food decisions on my own. I could make life decisions. But what I did is I couldn't surrender everything at once, right? So what I did is I just surrendered the food for today, just the food for today, and that if I needed help with anything, I would call. So I would just do what I told. And so it was so simple. I got a scale. I got a, I went to a nutri- I got a food plan. I got, went to a nutritionist. I called in my food. I only ate what I, I called in, and I took it one meal at a time. And if I, I was going to have any feelings of anything other than doing that, I would pick up the phone and call. It took so much work for me to just do the weighing and measuring every day and take care of my kids. I didn't – that was all I could do. So the surrender – just focusing on getting that recovery. That was all I could do. I didn't, nothing else mattered but recovery and my food. Nothing else mattered. That was priority number one because I could not be a good mother if I wasn't abstinent. I could not be a good wife, a good daughter, a good employer, employee, a good citizen. Nothing mattered but abstinence. What do I need to do? Who do I need to call? Where do I need to go? What do I need to do to get and stay recovered? I'll chop, chop, chop vegetables, you see. So it took so much energy just to do the next right thing. I didn't have time for anything else. I surrendered to the process, the methodology laid out before me. I didn't go thinking about, well, there could be a better way. I didn't question it wasn't perfect. They said this blob, forget about it. They had recovery. I wanted recovery. I'm going to do what they do. I don't care. No one's perfect. But they they are perfectly abstinent, and that's what I want. I surrendered those thoughts of, of, uh, whatever, I'm having to be right or thinking about this or that. I'm going to tell you, I have a pretty good IQ. I have a degree. I have a I have master's degree, a couple of uh, undergraduate degrees. I've done all kinds of stuff. But my intelligence got me nothing but hell. I surrendered 
my intelligence because it was inferior because I could let the evidence showed it. And so I accepted and I surrendered. And that was that surrender is letting go of my way and accepting a way that worked for other people. I passed. Thank you, Inez, for your question. Judith Judith R., your turn. Thank you, Leah, for your service. Thank you, Sharon, so much. This is Judith in Vermont, recovering compulsive overeater. Sharon, I'm curious, why do you think you didn't recover when you used the big book the first time? I always think that the big book is, is the solution. I know the higher power is really the solution, but I get confused when I think that somebody did the big book and it didn't work. That's my question. Well, you might have to go have a chat with my higher power. But um, I, I, uh, I love the big book. I absolutely love the big book. I believe that uh, we, we uh, compulsive overeaters are an undisciplined lot. I just didn't have the discipline to follow the program. And that's what the help I got in the rooms. They helped me uh, get discipline and structure in my life to follow the program. Furthermore, I do believe my higher power did not want me in isolation recovering because that was another part of my problem. I was self-sufficient. And he wanted to demonstrate, I believe, to me and uh, that you can't do it all on your own. This life isn't about you by yourself. It's a we life. And so, therefore, we need a we program so that we can learn how to live in a we life. I pass. Thank you, Judith. Francis P. Hi, Leah. Hi, Sharon. I am Francis T., a compulsive overeater in New York. And I, you know, it's not a question. Um, I simply want to tell you that I really feel in my heart of hearts that you are my God with skin on this morning. I um, I am right now in a food sugar fog. I've just had a three-day on and off um, sugar experience and... It mainly happened because um, because of fear, because I recently was smart enough to go and finally get a physical, which I needed, and everything worked out beautifully. I was told that the only thing that wasn't really so good was the fact that I was close to the marker for pre-diabetes, and so that scared the hell out of me, and I didn't tell anybody, and I went out on a binge where I really hadn't had sugar for like almost two months. So, um, but I'm still playing. I'm still playing with, you know, with, with um, recovery. And I have been listening to Visions for a long time. So I want to thank everybody, everybody that is dedicated to this process of recovery. I want to thank you especially um, for your passion, you know, that I know you got from A Vision for You. And I want to I wanna also... Um, just acknowledge the fact that we is a, such an important word 
the we of the program is what makes it work. Now, I am and in another... We're co- glad you're here. Francis, thank you so much. We're glad thank you're you, here. Thank yes, you, Leah. Thank you. Please stay for Sharon's contact information and perhaps a conversation uh, can occur one-on-one. All right. Any other questions for Sharon this morning before we wrap up? Yolanda? Hi, this is Lisa from Brooklyn. Before Lisa, I heard a name, please. Yolanda. Yolanda. Hi, Yolanda. And we're going to try to wrap by 10 a.m. this morning, so let's keep that in mind. Thank you very much. Go ahead, Yolanda. Okay, thank you, Sharon. Um, My question is, uh, you mentioned that um, you don't look back. And uh, I've been um, working uh, the program of recovery uh, the way you described uh, for many years, and I find that um, sometimes I'm looking back um, if if I could be doing something different. Um, but, I, you know, I do keep going forward, and I wondered if you um, had some words to say to me about that looking back. Uh, I don't know what's going on that I do that. Um, thank you. What are you looking back at? Oh, um, when I say looking back, um, you, when you talked, you said once you got this, you kept doing it, you didn't look back. So I keep doing it, but sometimes I look back. So I just wanted to know if there was a, a reason or something you could share with me about that. Uh, okay. Um, I was just wondering, you know, are you looking back to um, – thinking that uh, there's a better way, there's yes, a different exactly. way, things were exactly. so good, I could I could uh, eat like other people and we could do all these great things together. Is that what you're thinking yes. about? Yes. Yeah. Similar to that. Yeah. If you could just yeah. speak on that, looking back. Yeah, and, and that looking back, you know, it has... It has um, and when when I refer to it, I re, I refer to uh, uh, you know that very thing being able to to eat like other people, uh, live like other people in in that regard, not having to to uh, uh, get up and strap these legs on these uh, prosthetic devices on every day in the form of, of working the program and, and, and uh, surrendering to my higher power and developing that conscious contact on a daily basis. But um, I don't look back, so it's hard for me to talk about, uh, talk about it, except that I, it, it, what it means is that I just, I have the life that I have and um I I don't shy away from it. I don't I my life was so horrible when I was in the food that just the thought, I mean, if when I if I if I do kind of look over my shoulder just a little bit, it just um and by going to meetings and listening to other fellows and 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 making those regular phone calls, I'm hearing from from people because I'm always reaching out to newcomers and as much as possible and and I'm you know in conscious in contact with fellows that it it kind of keeps me grounded in the present 
in the present because you hear those stories of people that uh, have relapsed and, and have gone out or tried their own way. And of course, in the years I've been here, there's been so many people that have come and gone. And um, so I, that there, I, I, you see, we start developing our own life, a new life. And um, that's the life I look to. I've got more to do in order to get that where uh, God wants me to be. So there's so much to do in each and every day that um, there's nothing back there. Uh, Other people have what they have. And that was one thing I was taught. I was taught to stick to my side of the street and to keep my eyes on on me and what and not comparing myself to other people, which is I'm told is self-seeking. And um, so though that's that's some of it. And we can talk privately if you'd like to talk more about that. I can think about it in more detail. I can speak more articulate about it. Thank you, Yolanda, for the question. And Lisa, you'll be our last question today. Thank you, Sharon, so much. Uh, I had a question. Um, could you uh, speak to uh, a little bit of how you do four, steps four through nine? Yes, I would love to. Thank you for asking. I go to page 84. Well, four through nine, I, I, you're probably talking about... Um, are you talking about how I take a newcomer through four through nine? Well, how, or, you, how you've done it yourself or how you take a new, either way, whatever, however you want to address it. Are you looking at going through it yourself? Yes. Okay, because I was, I was going to take you to page 84, which I do these little, uh, which is really the 10th step, but it's kind of a mini four through nine, uh, which we do throughout the day whenever we're disturbed. But four through nine, the way, let's see, I have some sheet, I, the way I was taught, take it, the way it worked, um, I was taken through four through nine is, uh, first of all, going through with the recognition that, or at least what I did was I took my higher power with me and I allowed my higher power to be involved in that process. That was something I did personally. But I was given a sheet and told to fill out the, the um, and you can find these online. Uh, uh, there's, um, and if you, you can call me and I can give you a website where you can go to. But there's, uh, you, there's a sheet that basically takes you through the big book process of doing the four steps. And we, we, you fill out the the uh, left-hand column, which is you write down all of the, your resentments that you have toward anyone, toward principals, toward institutions. And um, you get those down, and then you go back and you say, why, why do I have this uh, resentment? And then you look at what areas in your life it affects, and uh, you pray for and then you go straight across each each um, row after that. Um, 
so that would be the fourth step, identifying all of the resentments that I may have. And the most important part of that then is is finding the areas in me that it affects. Uh, where was I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and frightened? And then after that, I did a separate um, fear inventory and looked at all of my fears, taking the fears from that resentment form and moving them onto the fear form and then went through that and asking, was I self-reliant or God-reliant? And um, and always, always, all of my fears were in God, were about God-reliance. And quite honestly, most of my resentments are about fear, fear of getting something I, uh, you know, I want, uh, I uh, fear that something I have will be taken away or uh, fear that I won't get something that I want. And then I did the, the sex inventory and, and looking at who I've harmed uh, specifically in the area of sex um, and um, looking at my ideal um, with respect to sex. And I, I gave that away to a sponsor face-to-face and um, just, you know, honestly dealt with that. But the reason I said I took God through that fourth and fifth step process is because I wanted to do it quickly and not, if I was doing it in my own strength, I'd be digging around looking for just little things, but I'm just, whatever came to mind, I put it down, just quickly put it down, put it down, put it down. And when I didn't have anything else to put down, I trusted that my higher power was going to show me what I needed to write. And I, I did that and and moved on knowing that I'm going to be in this for a long time and God can bring back anything but we're we're looking at getting those major things and uh six and seven um just reading and writing on those and and giving that to my sponsor and this and then eight making that list and again reading and writing in the big book and the 12 and 12 doing all that writing uh the reading and working with my sponsor and then in nine uh briefly i would write out the resentment and read it to my sponsor and we would discuss it before I gave it away to that person. That was critical because oftentimes I would be in self and and uh, I I had a lot of denial. I was um, uh, I I really was not very clear in those days when I was doing my ninth step. So I really needed support of of my fellows, and oftentimes I would read it to others if my sponsor felt she couldn't handle it. So that's how I went through those steps. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lisa, for the question. And thank you to everybody who posed questions this morning. Thank you, of course, to Sharon for your insight and your inspiring message of experience, strength, and hope this morning. Very much appreciated. And I'm going to end with page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. 
Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.